0: Hebrews chapter 11, and look with me at verse number 5. Last week we looked at Abel and his faith, this week we'll look at Enoch. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. What a great testimony. His the word around the street about uh, Enoch was that he pleased God. And there's a lot of things that you could say about someone. I, I don't know that it gets much better than that. That man lived a life that pleased God. Well, let's look at faith's example. Last week we looked at Abel. Let's look at Enoch this week. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we seek to understand uh, the Bible. And then, Lord, go forth and try to do our best to follow the examples of these men who lived their lives by faith. Lord, I I know that without faith it's impossible to please you. And, Lord, we want to live our lives by faith. We don't want to walk by sight. We don't want to trust on what's sensible or based on our senses. Uh, Lord, we want to put our faith in you. We want to walk by faith. And so, Lord, help us as we consider how Enoch did that. And, Lord, how Enoch thrived in his faith. To consider those elements and aspects and go forth and do our best to be people of faith as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so uh, we, uh, we're we going through and looking at the different examples of faith. And I want to just continue to stress this point. Hebrews 11 was not written so as to put men on a pedestal. That was not why this, book, this chapter was written. Yes, there are men and women's names listed all throughout the uh, this chapter, uh, there are women here, right? And so uh, uh, what we know that these folks were big deals in the Bible and they sort of seem to go in order from left to right or from Genesis on through the Old Testament as far as what they did and what they accomplished and who they are. And when uh, you're dropping these names, the author of Hebrews is dropping these names throughout the chapter, everyone knows who these people are, uh, both now and back then. Uh, everyone who is a Bible scholar, a Bible student knows who Abel and Enoch and Gideon and Abraham and Noah and Moses and and Jephthah and Joseph and Jacob and, uh, uh, and, and Rahab and all the different characters that we find throughout this chapter, we all know who they are. The point of this is not to put them up on a pedestal as much as, as it is to say, the reason why you know who these people are is because all of these people were great people of faith they walked by faith uh, uh, not by their own sight. Now, did they stumble along the way? Did they make mistakes along the way? Of course they did. And when we get into Abraham and Sarah, I believe next week, we're going to see some big gaffes in their faith, some big stumbles along the way. They really, really made some big mistakes along the way. But at the end of the day, they got themselves up, they dusted themselves off, and they lived a life, that was a a life of faith. I just want to say this to all of you this evening before we get into the, to, to the details of Enoch. Um, if you are at a moment in your life right now where your faith isn't where it ought to be, you can look over your shoulder and see where you were walking by faith, and you're sort of checked out of that for a little while, uh, that's okay. Uh, it's not good that you're not walking by faith. All of these things do not please the Lord, but start walking by faith today and uh, make that a big deal. Let's jump in and look at Enoch, Enoch's life. And the Bible uh, doesn't have a whole lot to say about him, but I believe there's enough information here we can gather to where we can get a Bible study out of the life of Enoch. Number one, notice Enoch's faith. Enoch's faith. And um, let's look at uh, how the Bible describes His faith. Look back with me at verse number five. Notice the first three words there. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Enoch. So, Enoch was a man who walked by faith. Letter A, notice his walk with God. His walk with God. Take um, a marker, if you can, and put it in Genesis chapter number 5. Turn there now, and uh, we're going to flip back and forth between Hebrews 11 and Genesis 5. We'll look at a few other verses as well uh, this evening. But for now, turn over to Genesis chapter 5, where we get the story of Enoch. And uh, look with me at verse number 22. His walk with God. Everybody find it? This is a Bible study. Hopefully you use your Bible there. All right. It says, and Enoch walked with God, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. So he walked with God for 300 years. That's a long time to spend time with someone. What does that phrase mean, walking with God? Do you go on a physical walk with God? you don't walk physically but it, it, the word walking with god or that rather that phrase walking with god is used to describe what it's like to spend time with god when i was a, a little boy we'd go sp- see my grandparents in michigan and my grandparents by the time I, you know by the time i was old enough to know what was going on they had sold their home and they had moved into a a, a mobile home park for the elderly. It was an elderly neighborhood, elderly community, which kind of stunk when you're eight years old, because there's no kids around. It's just, you know, everyone, and, and everyone, get, you get on everyone's nerves when you go outside and play, because they're all older. But um, I remember my grandmother would go on, when, before she got too old, she would go on long walks with us around the park. And I loved that. I loved going and walking with her, and and I eight, nine, ten years old. The older I got, the more I looked forward to that. I would get to spend time with her and and talk with her, and and she would talk with me, and I would get to know her, and she would get to know me. And when you live hours and hours away from your grandmother, you cherish those moments. And now that I'm uh, in my thirties, I look back. My grandmother's in heaven, and I re- that's one of the fondest memories I have was walking. With my grandmother. It, it was the act of spending time with her. And that's what walking with God is. It's spending time with God. Please make sure you hear me on this. Reading your Bible on a daily basis is not to be a ritual. It's to be a walk. It's not, it's not to be a matter of just going through the motions of I read my Bible and I prayed. Uh, when you walk with God, it's spending Quality time with God. Quality time. And if you don't do that on a daily basis, you are missing out. Uh, uh, turn over with me to, uh, let's see here, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Uh, that would be in the New Testament. Second Corinthians. I'm trying to hold my place in uh, in two two different spots and turn here at the same time. I'm having fun. Uh, okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is a verse we're all familiar with. We're to put away uh, the old and we're to put on... The new. When we were, before we were saved, we didn't walk with God. We didn't know how to walk with God. Now that you're a new creature in the Lord, there ought to be a desire to spend time with him. And therein comes that battle. Uh, let me give you a couple thoughts below this. They're not going to be in your notes. These are more in my notes. H- uh, Enoch's walk with God, it was intimate. It was intimate. His walk with God, um, he had an emotional closeness with God. That was just unparalleled, um, and we'll get into what happened here in a moment. But he became so close to the Lord from spending just an excessive amount of time with God. I know some of you right now are probably thinking, Pastor Lejeune, I don't, I don't have time <laughs> to spend with the Lord. Now, some of you are retired and you do. Others of you are working right now. Um, What do you do in your car on your way to and from work? How about when you're riding around town? We have time to listen to the news. We have time to listen to people's opinions on sports and politics. Uh, We have time to read newspapers and watch TV. We have time to look at our cell phone screens. It isn't that we don't have time to walk with God. Let's just be honest. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. My flesh does not want to read my Bible, and my flesh does not want to pray, and my flesh does not want to walk with God, because my flesh hates God. And, and there's just no desire to do that. And so we make excuses. I didn't have time to walk with God. Uh, Enoch was so good at saying no to his flesh and walking with God, that his walk with God became intimate. That word intimate is a word uh, that that means emotional closeness. Emotional closeness. And, and and when men think of the word intimate, they think of the bedroom. Uh, but, but physical intimacy is a result of emotional intimacy. Speaking of a husband and a wife. And, uh, real intimacy comes from two hearts that are very, very well knit together. And, uh, there, when we're speaking about our walk with God, His His relationship, because he just the the amount of time, the quality of time with God, it was just an intimate, emotional closeness. And not only was it intimate, but it was intense. He had an intense walk with God. It was so intense that he relied on God for everything. Everything. Let's look at a couple of other verses here. Uh, I believe these you probably know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, how does a Christian get to a place uh, where they are able to say, I trust God in all my ways? Now, I've taught this. I've preached it plenty. I, we've looked at this. I acknowledge God in everything I do from where I eat to what I wear to what I say to who I speak with to who my friends are to where I read in my Bible uh, to which lane I'm in in traffic. Uh, I trust God with every detail of my life. I'm not there yet. I'm just not quite there yet. How do you get there? It's a journey. It's a process. It's a process. It begins by putting God first and foremost in, in the decision making on, on big things and then adding, adding to that over time. And so instead of me just talking to God, uh, once a day, which you ought to do, you go to talking to God on a more regular basis and you get in the habit and you get to a place where you're just constantly Asking the Lord for his opinion about what you should do. And after years and years of doing that, uh, years and years of being a Christian and upping your prayer life and talking to the Lord and including him in that decision process, boy, you know what you find is that you're trusting the Lord with all your heart. You're not leaning upon your experiences or your own understanding. In all your ways, you are acknowledging him. Uh, Lord, should I take a shower tonight or in the morning? Right? But yes, you should take a shower. Amen? It isn't a matter of of should I or shouldn't I, should I in the morning or the evening? Amen? Please shower. (laughs) We have that uh, technology. Lord, uh, should I eat uh, uh, toast or a muffin? Or should I have bread at all? You say, Pastor, God doesn't care about all these things. Oh, yes, he does. We looked at the verse Sunday evening, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. How am I to do it to God's glory if if I don't even know what his heartbeat on it is? We're to honor him in all we do. Let's look at one more verse on this topic, our our time with the Lord. You ought to have a prayer time where you walk with the Lord and you ought to have a prayer life a prayer life. Now, what is, a, what is the difference? A prayer time is a scheduled time where you get away from the hustle and bustle of life and you have 15, 20, 30 minutes. If you're retired and you can go an hour or two, you have a set amount of time where you pray every day. It's scheduled, it's regular, it's planned, and you do it. And then a prayer life is where you're just Asking God for things on the go. On a regular basis in my day, I am confronted with challenges and difficulties. And and I'm asked to make decisions to help people. You know, when uh, someone's going through a tough time in their life, they call the pastor. Uh, I'm going through a divorce, or I'm having this big uh, a relational struggle, or uh, I'm having this financial struggle, I'm having this health crisis. And uh, usually one of the first things they do is they pick up the phone and they call the pastor. And I have to be ready at a moment's notice to give spiritual wisdom. Now, if I'm waking up every day as the 36-year-old man is saying, oh, I've got this figured out, I know what to tell everyone. You know what that is? That's stupid. Because I don't have it all figured out. But I have a God who does. And so if on a regular basis I can bow my head and say, Lord, will you show me? Lord, will you help me? Give me wisdom that I can channel along to other people. Look at uh, Psalm 119 verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. With my whole heart. Are you getting the intimacy and the intensity from Enoch's walk with God? You say, well, pastor, where does it say his walk was that intense? Hang on. We're going to get there. Letter A, his walk with God. Letter B, let's notice his wisdom from God. His wisdom from God. Go back with me to um, uh, Hebrews and then turn over just a few pages from Hebrews to the right till you find the book of Jude. It has one chapter in it. And uh, it is uh, is the last book before you get to Revelation. So, uh, Jude, and look with me. At verse number 14. I'm going to show you something here that I learned this week studying for this Bible study. I think you'll enjoy. If you uh, love the Bible, you, you enjoy this type of thing. Look at verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. So he's the seventh generation removed from Adam. Prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. To execute judgments upon all. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, what is, Enoch talk, what is this talking about here? Um, verses 14 and 15 are quoted from the book of Enoch. Enoch wrote a book. And these verses are quoted right out of that book. Now you would ask, does that mean that the book of Enoch should have been in the Bible? And the answer is no, no. Now, this is in chapter one of the book of First Enoch, and the only uh, the only religious group that ascribes to uh, the book of First Enoch that believes it's scripture would be a branch of the Ethiopian Christians. And they have they have translated it into the English language. You can go online and, and you can read the book of first enoch and what 's fascinating about it at least what I have gathered i haven 't read it but i 've read about it from several different sources and what I gather is that much of the eschatology or end times doctrine in the book of First Enoch is accurate. much of it lines up with what we find in Daniel and revelation now um, it wasn 't preserved. It, it it wasn't, I don't believe it was inspired. It definitely wasn't preserved and, and handed down for us. You say, well, how in the world did Enoch know that ten thousands of saints were going to come back with the Lord to execute judgment on the earth? That's crazy. Enoch lived before the Bible was ever written. How could have he known that? And here is where I'm going to speculate a little bit, but I think it's a fair speculation. Remember a moment ago we were talking about Enoch's walk with God, how it was, it, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, intimate and it was intense? Here's how I think Enoch knew about the saints coming back to help rule the world. This is speaking of the end of the tribulation and the millennial reign. Enoch knew about this. Here's how I think he knew. I think his walk with God was so personal that God told him. I do. I think God said, Enoch, let me open up my heart and tell you uh, what's going to come. I think Enoch knew a lot of things uh, before a whole lot of people knew them, and God allowed Enoch on his own to write a lot of what God had told him down in a book. Now, God did not inspire that book, but God gave him that not because he needed Enoch to know, not because he needed Enoch to be a prophet to help write the Bible. He gave it to Enoch because Enoch was his friend. Enoch was his friend. And Enoch had this knowledge of what would happen in the end time. And he wrote it down. And also it validated Enoch as being a man who walked with God. His faith. His faith. Um, Enoch walked with God and it was real. What is your walk with God like? Let me just throw a couple more things in here before we move on. I know a lot of people who I'll label them as Bible scholars. I'm not a Bible scholar, all right? Uh, I, I have books in my office written by men who I would label to be Bible scholars. They know the Bible on a much deeper level than I will ever know, all right? They're Bible scholars. Here is the danger with becoming a Bible scholar. You become puffed up in your knowledge, all right? Here's one piece of advice I want to give everyone here this evening and watching online. Do not just read the Bible so that you can be smart. Read the Bible so that you can walk with God. It is a book that we're to study. It is a textbook for us to know how to live life by. It is a book that we can dive uh, deep and never uncover all of it. But the danger a lot of people make is that they treat it like a textbook and they walk around with a head full of knowledge. And 1 Corinthians tells us that knowledge puffeth up. And there's a whole lot of... A Big-headed Christians walking around acting like they're smarter than everyone else. And oftentimes they are smarter than everyone else. But they're not as smart as God. And God did not give us this Bible primarily so that we could elevate ourselves. He gave us, or our knowledge, he gave us this book so that we could know him. He wants us to walk with him. And so be like Enoch. Walk with God. Now, Enoch didn't have a Bible to read. So how did he walk with God? Through prayer. And I believe that he lived in a time where God directly communicated with humans. And so, his wisdom. He had a deep, intense wisdom. Let me make an application, one more application here, and we'll move on to number two. Here's the application. God is not going to give you new knowledge. Alright? The days of special knowledge are over. Why? Because the Bible is done being written. God is not going to give you uh, 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 some new word. If if anyone ever says to you, the Lord told me, and if the next thing they quote isn't scripture, then you need to turn around and run. Because God does not tell anybody anything. And a lot of televangelists in the 80s and 90s used to say, the Lord told me to tell you that if you'll give me this much money, he's going to bless your life. You know, they're just playing a game. They're working to get rich. The Lord told me to tell you that that struggle you're going through in your life right now, that loved one that's burdened uh, with great hurt and care, that, that great resolve is going to come. They're speaking in generalities, and, and, and they're wowing and wooing people, and they're playing a game. And oftentimes it is a sham. God is not going to give you a new word, but by walking with God, he can help you better understand his word. Walk with God. Uh, My encouragement to you is that when you read your Bible, pray while you do it. One of the mistakes I think I've heard uh, given, even I've done it, even accidentally, is we talk about reading your Bible and prayer. Reading your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Almost as though you read your Bible, check, and then you pray. Check. Or I pray, check, and then I read my Bible. You know what? You ought to pray before you read your Bible. You ought to pray while you're reading your Bible. And you ought to pray when you're done reading your Bible. And uh, uh, for example, go back to Hebrews chapter number 11 with me. And let me just show you what I'm talking about here, okay? So you're beginning Hebrews chapter 11. Lord, help me to understand this passage. And Lord, show me something here that will help me be more like you and help me be who you want me to be. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Lord, help me to discover the evidence of my faith. Help me to see the substance of my faith. And Lord, I may not be able to see it with physical eyes, but help me to see it through spiritual eyes. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Lord, help my faith to be so strong that my children will look back on me and see a good report of my life because I walked with you. You see how we're doing this here? We're praying while we're reading. Now, you can't do that with every story and every instance, but you can stop and pray where the Lord shows you, right? You can stop and pray that the Lord will help you to understand. How about when you come to a verse and you can't figure out what it means? Lord, I'm having a hard time with this one. Can you help me to understand this? Spirit of God, show me what this means. Give me the wisdom to know who to ask or who to talk to. Help me, Lord, to understand it. And so, uh, God will give you wisdom as you walk with him. So, we see, number one, Enoch's faith. Number two, Enoch's family. Or rather, Enoch's fervor. (laughs) I got ahead of myself. Enoch's favor. Enoch's favor. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 5. It says there, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Letter A, notice, his testimony. His testimony. He had this testimony that he pleased God. If I were to stop ten people that knew you well and say, say something positive about And I were to give them your name. Would one of them say they live a life that pleases God or something to that effect? I don't know if they'd say that about me, but that's what I that's what I want. That's how I want to live my life. Pastor Lejeune, he, he lives a life that pleases the Lord. He lives a life that is a walk, a faith walk. What a testimony that he had. I don't know about you, but I want that testimony. You know, I, I, I don't want someone to say about me, boy, he was an incredible basketball player. Kobe Bryant just recently passed, right, tragically, and, and his daughter, and I think there were, what, nine people in the plane or a helicopter that crashed and died. And, and that's tragic. Anytime a life is lost, it's tragic, whether they're famous or not. And uh, they just had the NBA All-Star Game uh, this past weekend and all these tributes, we're given to Kobe Bryant. And you know what? Within that space, rightfully so. But you know, what, uh, you know what everyone says about Kobe Bryant? What's the first thing people say about Kobe Bryant? He was a great basketball player. Right? What's that? He's the GOAT. He wasn't the GOAT. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. But, but that, that, that's not for right now. Well, This is Bible study. Okay. Amen. Not, not basketball study. Um, uh, but uh, you know what else they say about him? He was a good father. Right? He loved his children. He had gone to Catholic Mass that morning prior to dying in the helicopter accident. He went really early in the morning, so he was religious. I don't know that he was saved, but he was religious. But the very first thing they say about him, he was a great basketball player. If, if What is it about you? Some people, you say, well, tell me about old Joe over there. Oh, man, Joe can hunt with the best of them. Not this Joe. All right? Um, uh, tell me about, tell me about Steve over there. Oh man, Steve has given his whole life to working at, and they're known by their business. Tell me about, uh, tell me about, uh, Joy over there. Oh, well, Joy, uh, she always, she's always getting her nails done, or she's, she's always got a cup of coffee in her hand, or she's always, uh, 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 she, she, she's all about this. I I want people to say about me at the end of my life, uh, when they have my funeral, he didn't care about anything except pleasing God. That was his testimony. And you know what? We have to go to work. We have to make money to pay the bills, right? Uh, We we have to do all these other things, but we get to be a child of the king. Letter B, notice his translation. His translation. Turn over to Genesis chapter 5 with me. Let's read the verse first, and I'm going to make a a really uh, solid point here. Look at verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Here's how I imagine this happened. I imagine Enoch went out for a walk one day. I'm sure he said to his wife and his kids on the way out the door. His kids are grown at this point. But I'm sure he said to his wife, I'm going to go walk with the Lord. I'll be back. And, And he got out a good ways from home. And he started to turn around and go back. And God must have looked at him and said, you know what? You're closer to me than you are your home. Why don't you just come on home with me? Now, can I tell you something about me? If I were to go on a walk, and I would told my wife I'm going to go pray, and I'm going to go on a walk, as I do sometimes, um, and I didn't come home, her first assumption would not be that the Lord took me. She'd think either I ran away from home, or someone kidnapped me, uh, or the stress of life got to me, right? Right? I don't know, is there anyone here that would say, if you went out for a walk and didn't come back, that the first assumption about you would be that God just raptured you? He translated you? This is amazing. This is amazing that he could go for a walk and not come home, and the very first thing people thought was, I bet the Lord took him home. I bet the Lord just raptured him out of here. Wow! What a testimony he had. Turn over to Second Kings chapter 2 and verse number 11. There was only one other man that was ever raptured or translated uh, uh, who did not see death. Second Kings chapter number 2 and verse number 11. And it came to pass as they s- still went on. This is Elijah and Elisha and talked that behold there appointed a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and so Enoch was translated that he did not see death Elijah was translated that he did not see death these two men were just taken off the earth because their walk with God and their fervor their favor with God was so real was so real uh, my challenge to you this evening is this have a faith That is so on fire for God that everyone knows who you stand for. It ought not be a question at work that you're a Christian. It ought not be a question in your neighborhood that you love God. You shouldn't cloak that and be concerned about what other people think. When you go home tonight, uh, to those of you that are minors or rather not married yet, uh, you three here, there ought not be any question when you get home that you love the Lord and that you're all about him. And, when, uh, and for all of you here, when things are being watched on the TV in your home that you know don't please the Lord, it ought to be very obvious that you're uncomfortable with that. It ought to be very obvious that you're not comfortable with people taking God's name in vain around you. It ought to drive you nuts to a place where you're almost rude telling him to knock it off. Hey, I, you know what? When I, I was coming, uh, I, I stopped to go to the restroom uh, going down to I-95 recently. I stopped at one of those island uh, uh, places to go to the restroom. I walked in, and this guy came out and took uh, God's son's name in vain. And, and, I, and I said to him, he sure is a good savior, isn't he? And the guy looked at me and was like, and I just kept on walking. I set up with a little bit of an attitude. It bothered me. That's my Jesus. You don't take his name in vain. You don't talk about him like that. And if you do, I take it personal. You know why? Because I want people to know me as someone who's madly in love with the Lord. And I would just encourage you, have favor with God. Walk with God. Uh, Get wisdom from God. Number three, let's look at this. Notice uh, Enoch's family. Enoch's family. Now, Go back to, we're going to finish out the Bible study in Genesis 6. So you can let go of Hebrews 11 there. Uh, Genesis 5, rather, in 6. Um, I put down the wrong. On the screen and on your uh, outline there, it should say Genesis 5, not Genesis 6. That's my mistake. Brother Joe just goes off what I give him. Okay, look with me at um, Genesis chapter 5 and look at verse number 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, let me just say this here. The event of giving birth to his first son was so riveting that it drove him to a place to want to walk with God. Uh, let's see. Everyone in here who is a parent, you remember the time you held your first child? You remember a, what, what a wake-up call that was? It, it was scary, right, Jake? I, I remember when Matthew was placed in my arms. And it, it's just, it, it, it's, it's joy, but it's this awesome responsibility of this little dude is dependent on me I can't be a kid anymore. It's time to be a grown-up. You all know what I'm talking about? You you, you get where I'm coming from here? This happened to Enoch, and you know what Enoch did? He said, it's time for me and my faith with God to get real. He was 65 years old. Again, they lived to be a lot older back then, as we'll see in a minute. But he's 65 years old. He has his first child. This baby is put in his arms, and he says, okay, it's time for me to start walking with God. And that he did. And look at the impact it would have uh, on his family. I know why I put Genesis 6, 5-9. We'll look at those verses in a minute. Um, let's keep reading. Look here. And Enoch, uh, uh, so, uh, let's see. Verse 23. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Look at verse 25. And Methuselah lived in 180 and 7 years, and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and 2 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were uh, 960 and 9 years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and 2 years, and begat his son, and he called his Name Noah, saying, uh, "This saying shall comfort us concerning our work and the tool of our hands, because of the great, uh, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed." So let me let me give you what these names mean uh, quickly. Here, the name Enoch means dedicated. Dedicated. This is uh, really important. In 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 America, in this culture, the Western world, we name people names based on what sounds good, right? We don't take put thought into what it means. Um, my children's names are Matthew and April, I can't really tell you what their names mean. Why did you pick them? Because they sound good in English and Spanish. That's really why we pick those names. Now, some people are a little more thoughtful and they look behind the meaning of the name, but then, you know, you have like Pastor Morales, all four of his daughters, their name starts with the letter J because he's a preacher and he alliterates. So that's what he did. He just alliterated his kids' names. He can't help it. Even his daughter's names are alliterated. There's no, he didn't take the time to think what Jasmine, Julie, Jocelyn, and Joy meant. He just named them that because they all started with the letter J. But back in Bible days, when you gave somebody a name, what it meant was a big deal. And so Enoch's name meant dedicated. Um, uh, Enoch was dedicated to the Lord. He lived out his name. He was so dedicated to what he gave his heart to that God just took him on to heaven. Notice that uh, Methuselah's name means bringer of death. Bringer of death. The name Methuselah comes from two Hebrew words. The first one means, uh, the first Hebrew word in his name means death. And the second word means bring her up. Now, we'll look at why his name or how that name was prophetic. By the way, uh, Enoch naming his son Methuselah was evidence that God had kind of told him ahead of time what was coming. Uh, 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 So Methuselah had a son and named him Lamech, and Lamech's name means powerful, powerful. And, And Lamech would give birth to Noah, and Noah's name meant rest. Noah's name meant rest. Fascinating. The ark rested on Mount Ararat. Enoch was dedicated. Now, uh, I I want that to stay up on the screen for a moment here. These names are so awesome. Because of Enoch's dedication, the world was saved and we're here today. Do you understand that Enoch loved God so much that he was able to produce a son, a grandson, and a great-grandson Three generations behind him that would be totally devoted to God in a godless world. Look at at Genesis 6. Let, Let me show you how bad the world was. Leave that up there for me. Genesis 6, look at verse number 5. How bad was the world? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man which I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah, this is the great grandson, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah, Noah is still walking with God uh, as the great grandson of Enoch. And where did he learn that? Well, he learned it from his dad, Lamech, who learned it from his dad, Methuselah, who learned it from his dad, Enoch, from uh, Enoch, who decided to get real with God once his son, Methuselah, was born. And he said, I've got a boy to raise. I've got to walk with the Lord. And he got so uh, fervent for the Lord that that made an impact four generations removed. How bad was the world that Noah lived in? It was so bad that when Noah told the world God was going to destroy the world with a flood, no one believed him except for his wife, his three sons, and their three wives that they had somehow convinced to marry them and get on the boat. And that that was it. There were eight of them on the boat, and that was it. You say, well, what about Enoch? Well, he was translated. What about Lamech? If you go look at the timeline, Lamech died before the flood. Well, what about Methuselah? Let me show you something really neat before we go here. Now, we can look at their ages of when their first child was born, and we can figure out how old uh, uh, Methuselah was when the flood happened. Uh, let's see here. Methuselah. Look back at Genesis chapter 5, verse 25. Genesis 5, 25. And Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. Throw that next slide up there for me. So, Methuselah begat Lamech when uh, Methuselah was 187 years old. Everybody with me here? All right. Uh, uh, Methuselah, let's uh, look at Genesis 5, 28 and 29. And Lamech lived in 182 and two years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah. So throw the next slide up there. Lamech begat Noah when he was 182 years. So uh, Methuselah begat Lamech at 187. Lamech would live 182 years and then have Noah. All right, now look with me at Genesis chapter number 7 and verse number 6. Genesis 7 and verse 6. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water was upon the earth. Go ahead. Flood came when Noah was 600 years old. So, Methuselah was 187 years old when he gave birth to Lamech. Lamech was 182 years old when he gave birth to Noah. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Those numbers add up to 969. How old was Methuselah when he died? Go back with me and look at Genesis chapter 5 and verse 27. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Methuselah died the year of the flood. Methuselah died the year of the flood. His name means bringer of death. When he died, the flood came. Now, there are some spe- there's some speculation that goes on here. One of the speculations is that Methuselah uh, did not believe in God, and so he just died in the flood with everyone else. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I, now, uh, God had told Noah to build the ark 120 years prior. He didn't need 120 years to build a boat. It was massive, and they didn't have the modern equipment today. He didn't need 120 years. Why then did God wait 120 years uh, to send the flood? Can I tell you why he was letting Methuselah die on his own and then he sent the flood? Why did he do that? Would you want a 969 would you want to be trapped in a boat with a 969-year-old man who is sick and ailing and getting ready to die? God was being gracious to Methuselah, letting him die a natural death and then he sent the flood. All that to say Enoch Set this in motion because he was a man of faith. I like to on Wednesday evenings where I can throw a little Bible nugget out there for you uh, to grab hold on and enjoy. Let me get back to finishing with something really practical here. To those of you here that have um, children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and in Miss Pauline's case, great great grandchildren. Okay? Great grandchildren. Oh. I thought you had said you had. Okay, you did, yeah. See, you got all excited. and Okay, you have eight great-grandchildren. How old is your oldest great-grandchild? So you, you may be a great-great-grandmother before you get off this planet. That would be great for you going to heaven. Let me make this point here to all of you that have children and beyond. Your faith makes a huge impact well beyond your life. Little face, little impact. Big face, big impact. You three here, you don't have babies yet. One day, pray, prayerfully, you will. Little face, little impact. Big face, big impact. I want my children and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren to know that their dad, father, grandfather, great grandfather walked with the Lord. And I want there to be residual in their life where they walk with the Lord. Now, do our children sometimes go astray even when we have a strong faith? Yes, they do. Unfortunately, sometimes that happens. But you raise them right and you love them and you stay true to your faith, there will come a point in time where they come back to their faith and they raise their children in it. They will boomerang back around. I really do believe that. You must stay strong. Whether you are The age of these three, or you're the age of Pauline, or somewhere in between, you keep walking that road because your faith, yes, it impacts you, but it's so much more than you. It's all of the generations to come on behind you. It does not matter how much money you leave in the bank for your kids. You know what? They can go get money. You know what they can't get? They can't go back and get dad's faith unless he was a man of faith. Or, mom was a woman of faith. They can get money anywhere. They can't get, they can't get your faith from anywhere but you. And so please walk with the Lord. Be like Enoch. Enoch is a hero. Enoch knew things before anyone else in the world knew them about end times. Enoch was a man who God just said, you know what? You're so close to me after walking with me for 300 years. I'm just going to bring you on home with me. Wow. But all that happened because he walked with God, and he did it by faith. And he was known for his faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be known for that. I want my kids to look at me and say, that, my dad is not a phony. He doesn't show up to church on Sundays and act one way, and then act like something different at home. I want him to see dad's a man of faith at work, uh, at, 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 at home, at school, at church, wherever he goes. My dad is consistently a man of faith. Is he perfect? No. Is he flawed? Yes. But he's a man of faith. And they need to see that in us, that we're trusting God and we're walking with God. All right. That's what I have for you tonight. I hope that's a help. Any questions? Oldest man ever recorded in the Bible. Almost lived a thousand years. Does everyone here understand why people could live so long back then? Is anyone curious about that? Yeah, let me, let me show you. Uh, We've got a few minutes here. Go over to 2 Peter. I'm going to show you how that worked. This is a big problem for a lot of people. They they read these ages and they're like, That's impossible. That can't be that can't be right. Um, the end of Second Peter. I think it's second Peter, might be the end of first Peter. Hold on, I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah, it has to be in the end of Peter here. Look with me at, um, uh, yeah, look at me at verse number 7. But the heaven and the earth which are now, Second Peter 3, 7. The heaven and earth which are now, by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire and judgment. Back up with me. Uh, back up with me to verse number 5. For they, this they willingly are ignorant of, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, And the earth standeth out of the water and in the water. Note that verse. Out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that was then, uh, uh, so note, note that there was a world that was then, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heaven and the earth which are now so the earth we live in is different than it was then. By the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Uh, Look with me at verse ten, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also uh, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Uh, look at verse twelve. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the of the of, uh, of the day of God, wherein the heaven uh, the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So this passage lays out for us the three phases. Of heaven and earth all right there's one yet to come where God's going to give us a new heaven and new earth there's the earth we're on now we're all very familiar with it and then there's the earth as it was prior to the flood if you back up to uh, I think it's first five again it says earth standing out of the water and in the water if you go back to the Genesis account you can see the Bible talks about separating the firmament or the water from the firmament so here's how this works uh, many folks believe, and I subscribe to this, that there was a water canopy that surrounded planet Earth. This was a layer of water in the form of a ball, right, that surrounded planet Earth and protected it from the harmful rays of the sun. They have proven that if you can run sun through water, you have three rays, UVA, UVB, UVC. UVC is absorbed in the atmosphere. UVA, as far as we can tell, does not harm you. UVB rays age you. In fact, if you're out in the sun too long, you get sunburn, you can get sun poison, uh, you can get cancer from being out there too much. That comes from UVB rays if you run the sun through a layer of water, that UVB ray is absorbed out and does not reach us. So we would, ha- we would have had the light from the sun without the damage of the sun. Furthermore, the oxygen content in the air would have been much higher. So what happened with the flood? Uh, when I was a boy, I was kind of taught that it rained and rained and, rained and rained and rained and rained and rained and rained and rained until, you know, the flood got so high that it covered the mountaintop. That's not at all how it worked. Here's how it worked. There was a hole punctured in that water canopy, and it came flooding down on the earth. Probably one of those places was over the Grand Canyon. And then there was a layer of water in the earth, and that came shooting out from underneath. Well, how do we know that there was a layer of water in the earth? Because now that chamber is still there, except it's not filled with oil, water. It's filled with oil. And what is oil? Oil is organic life that's squished real quick, right? You take a plant and you squish it real quick, you get oil. You take a beaver and you squish it real quick, you get oil. You take a human body and you squish it real quick, and you get oil. So that, all that water and sediment came pressing down on the human life that was here, and the chamber that had been water became filled with oil. How do you cover the highest mountain in that short of a time span? You have to have more than just a rainstorm. And so, when the water canopy dissolved and Noah and uh, his, his, his descendants stepped off the ark, well, now the sun would age much, people much faster. The oxygen level wouldn't have been as high. And also, that's what happened to dinosaurs. Dinosaurs walked the earth prior to the flood. I believe dinosaurs were on the ark. But once the flood happened and the ark, uh, uh, once the flood happened and they came off the ark, This world was so different, those dinosaurs couldn't survive, and so they they passed away. And so we don't have dinosaurs that walk the earth anymore. But dinosaurs didn't walk the earth millions and millions of years ago. The Bible teaches that the earth is only like 6,000 years old, 6,000 to 8,000 years old. So it's still a relatively young earth. And so that's how they would have lived. It was a different world. It was the same planet, but from an environmental standpoint, it was very different. Furthermore, if you look at the ages, John, once they get off the ark, they begin to drop off like this. Whereas they had lived to be 969, I think Noah lived to be something like 630, I don't know the exact age, but somewhere in there. And then you see the descendants, it it continues to stair-step down until you get into the 100s. Uh, so you can see that there, things were very different prior than they were after. Does that make sense? See, that Second that Peter explains that. Yes, ma'am. Okay, go ahead, real quick. So, when we get to heaven uh, and we have this judgment seat, uh, second? My understanding, Pauline, and I could be wrong, okay, but my understanding is that the for the church age saints, which would be us, okay, the the time where we appear before the Bemis seat, uh, or the judgment seat, that's going to take place, from my understanding, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, all right, the Lord is purifying His bride, so He can marry her. The bride being the church, and so He's bringing the saints up one church age saints up one at a time, and our works are being tried by fire. Second Corinthians three, I believe it's Second Corinthians three, explains this process. Chapter five talks about sort of goes back and references that. But what happens is God takes our works and, and those works that are done that are non spiritual in nature or were done in, in, in carnal in nature, those burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Those works that were done that were for the Lord and that pleased the Lord and were done with the right motive, those turn into gold, silver, and precious stone. See, I don't know that anywhere in the Bible it says we'll lay our crowns at Jesus' feet. There there are songs that say that, and there are preachers that preach that. I've probably preached that. Here's the thought process behind that. He is so worthy, and we are so unworthy, and we're going to have such a perspective of that in heaven that we're going to want to take the crowns that we get, and again, this is opinion, right? The scripture doesn't say this that I know of, but we're going to want to take those and lay them back at the feet of Him that is worthy. Well, Rick, is it the same time as our I think we'll want to do that for all of eternity. We'll get the we'll get the crowns, right there. But I think we'll want to do that for all at of eternity. Uh huh. Yeah. We'll get them there, right? The, so at that, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Same thing. Yes. In my understanding. Again, I, I don't... No, it's, there's one judgment for Christ, church eight saints. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed with the word of prayer. That's all right. I'm glad you asked. All right.